Hey guys, welcome back to Crafting Fitness. Today I'm pleased to be joined with my colleague Henry Toronto. We both recently saw a post from Ben Bergeron saying that CrossFit Games athletes have healthy bodies. Henry and I both have differing viewpoints on this statement and wanted to share our thoughts on why we see sport and health being mutually exclusive. Our aim for this discussion was to share an opposing viewpoint to the one stated and to add perspective on why we think sport sits outside of longevity and health, regardless of what that sport entails. If you have questions or thoughts you'd like to share with us on the topic, feel free to send us an email at sam at crafted.coach. If you enjoy this episode, please like and share with others as it helps us build our reach and be able to share more great content with the public. All right, guys. Well, I'm excited to have Henry on here today, and we wanted to have a dialogue on a post we saw on social media that you could say has gone viral um, that Ben Bergeron posted from a clip of his podcast regarding CrossFit Games athletes and them being healthy. And a lot of things in the video and on the podcast episode, we we don't agree with, and we wanted to have a dialogue on that to share our perspective so that people have a resource for a counterpoint or a counter argument to it. And just to be better informed um, on what we believe are the realities of being an athlete in a sport versus being a human and living everyday life. So Henry, thanks for, for being here. And I'm excited to chat with you on this. Yeah, for sure. Always a pleasure to be in the show and always great chatting with you. Um, awesome. Yeah, quick, quick overall like note on at least how, how this came to my attention. Um, I had a, a client who's also a coach that kind of DM me that clip on Instagram and he, he obviously did it fully, fully intentionally knowing uh, that I'd jump on it. And sure, shit. My reply was, "Oh, I'm so commenting on this," um, and I I went in there and you know dropped the note. Um, just just to be clear, right? Uh, we don't like it, it's not about attacking the individual who said it. Uh, it's more about definitely attacking the idea uh, of it. Uh, it could very be easily uh, interpreted as, oh, like he said this, but what he meant was that. And like, let it go, guys. But I can't. I can't let it go because I understand it. Maybe people with a little bit higher level understanding of the conversation and fitness and per se can understand it. But the vast majority of people, which is our clients, don't. And that thought, that thought of elite athletes being a beacon for health and everything that that entails from their performances, their abilities to their aesthetics is breaking emotionally a lot of the people that we work with. And it's us who need to come back and kind of, you know, help repair that and, you know, try to reverse a thought that's so fully ingrained across all of social media, falsely ingrained, right? So I, I can't let it go as mm -hmm. easily and i think that every time this comes out to light like we need to call it out we need to talk about it and like we need to be adamant about mm -hmm. you know where all of it is wrong yeah 100 so let's uh jump in i i listened to the whole podcast episode and i listened in the clip multiple times and the the impetus for the response was 
a listener question. And the question was, I quote, what does a healthy body look like? End quote. And even that question is, is a, in my opinion, it's not a really good question because everyone's going to have a bias on how they view and define like what a healthy body looks like based upon their experiences, their beliefs, their, you know, environment, et cetera. So that question didn't set up uh, the responder very well to come up with a, you know, a good answer. And then what led or what came of that was Ben responding with CrossFit games, athletes have healthy bodies as the, like, we'll use that as a reference point for what a healthy body is. And then he, he followed that up with you. You can't look like that and be unhealthy. And I was, I think we were both kind of taken back with like, well, why can't you look healthy and be unhealthy? Like the burden of proof is on him to better explain why that's the case. Cause it's such a blatant statement of, well, if you're, if you look fit, then, then, then you must be healthy. It's like, well, that's, that, that's, a, there's not enough evidence to say that it, it, it's, it's unfounded. You have to provide more depth to why is this equal to that? And of course you and I, with our background and our experience, we know that when you, when you compete in sport, and this is, a, this is a side note, you need to push your systems, all systems to the furthest degree possible in order to push towards your potential. And inevitably, when you push a system to its potential or to its max, there are consequences physiologically that are going to take place. And while on the surface, you look fit, you look really lean, there are consequences internally that are going to happen. And we'll get more into those. Um, but it was just really interesting that there wasn't a lot of evidence to support the claim that, well, if you do, if you look this way, then you must be healthy. And it's it's, I don't say he said impossible, but it's almost as if there's no opportunity where you could look healthy, but, but actually be, un, or you could look fit, but be unhealthy. He did tie in like a bodybuilder and how a bodybuilder can be extremely lean and arguably look more fit than a, than a CrossFitter, um, but might be arguably less healthy. So, and I don't want to get muddied in the wording here. It's just there, there wasn't enough there wasn't enough of an argument to challenge that idea that you can't look fit and be unhealthy. Yeah. And, and again, just, just jumping on concepts and whatnot. And my whole, my whole response to that will not be about this, but just because you mentioned bodybuilding, I think anybody who I've heard uh, speak to bodybuilding who also participates in the sport. And there's a lot of PhDs, bodybuilders like real real smart science-based dudes not one of them not one of them has ever said that when you are at the stage on a show you are in a healthy state like they all recognize that this is just it's insane what we do to get on stage and we need to get out of like the smart ones we need to not be like that right after a competition for a while to try to reset uh systems there so it's it's interesting that he he bring that up because it's it's not arguable it's not mm -hmm. arguable you look great you look like a statue mm -hmm. but you are not healthy that's it's not even argument um but flip side to what you mentioned about you know everything mm -hmm. that goes into being at you know top level peak performance is the other aspect of it what is health how do we measure health what is being fit 
I mean, there, there's not there's not even a clear consensus on that because you cannot tell me that somebody who runs a marathon sub two hours is not fit. That's pretty fucking fit. Yet they're likely will not be strong. So somebody who can bench press 800 pounds and squat a thousand and deadlift, those guys are pretty fit, but they're not enduring. So it's it's different levels of fit. And if we were going to talk just about that, it will not be a graph. It will be like a seven dimension something where we say, well, you need to be strong for this and enduring for that and this for that. And we're going to be, we, we're going to spend an hour chatting about it and we still won't be able to fully grasp what fitness is. And mm -hmm. the same is going to apply to health. Mm -hmm. and, and in both cases, it's a lot easier to understand at, and grasp what being unhealthy is and what being unfit is but as we get closer to what you know the the, the positive of that what is fit and health it's very difficult to, mm -hmm. to describe so definitely being you know being sick is a clear indicator of poor health right or not being in a healthy state uh you know being you know uh in an extremely deconditioned state where you can barely stand for a minute without needing to you know catch your breath that's definitely unhealthy but we don't know. Like once that is not the case and we start getting closer to it, we don't know exactly or we are unable to precisely describe those things. Mm -hmm. Right. And I just mentioned being in such a deconditioned state. That's one end of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. Being in such great shape where you could possibly run, you know, a mile at five minutes and snatch 300 pounds and do 30 muscle ups in under two minutes. That is also too too far off the spectrum and not in the center we can just consider it normal healthy mm -hmm. fitness that is elite level performance in a sporting concept context yes which i can fully appreciate right so again i don't want it to sound like this is a knock on athletes certainly not crossfitters because it's a sport that i'm extremely passionate about mm -hmm. but if we look at it from a macro view right? There's no one elite pitcher who is not asymmetric in the upper body. Mm -hmm. It needs to happen. There is not one, I don't know, soccer player who will not have some asymmetry in the lower body because they're, you know, they're biasing one, one side of their body in the same pattern over and over again. And I mean, we, let's not even talk about hockey players missing half of their teeth, football players, boxers, and everything that they go through. It's the same. Crossfitters are not going to be healthy. They will, you know, have to pay the price of admission to be elite in their sport. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's the big, uh, the tie in is, is sport versus health. Cause they're not the same because in, in order, if, if you, if you play the game of a sport, you're, you're, you're putting a vote for, I need to push my system as far as I can in order to reach the pinnacle of the sport. So my system has to overstretch, overstretch itself to reach my potential, my maximum that I'm, that I'm genetically predisposed to along with the environmental factors that are going to impact that. And so it's, it's more just about being cognizant that there is a, there's a cost associated with pushing the system to its maximum. And if somebody says, because CrossFit's, you know, 
rooted in exercise being the vehicle of the sport, then that becomes a way out of saying that, well, just participating or pushing it towards the limit, you're still going to maintain health and you're going to still maintain longevity. It's like, well, that's, you're really stretching for that because if you really want to succeed and thrive, especially if you want to be a games athlete, then you're going to have to make sacrifices physically. And I think that's what we're really trying to distinguish is a games athlete, somebody at that level, there are sacrifices. For instance, working out, training five, six hours a day, five, six times a week, every week or nearly every week, I wouldn't constitute that in line with, with general health. That's sport specific work or eating 500 grams of carbohydrates every day for you know 40 weeks of the year. There's a cost to your physiology doing that, getting that excessive amount of feeding, excessive amount of sugar, or having chronically elevated creatine kinase levels. There's a cost on your physiology for that. There's a cost. And so I, I, I just want people to, to, to think critically about what's the physical cost of participating in a sport um, that is young. It's, it's younger. Like you mentioned some like boxing or football or soccer or hockey where they've been around longer. And so we've seen the implications of playing the sport at the highest level with, you know, in football concussions and suicide and, uh, CTEs. There's a lot of, there's a lot of things, a lot of things that people don't, you know, they kind of look past because of the entertainment side of it and the enjoyment, et cetera. Um, but there is a cost even in CrossFit. And so we, we, we can't turn a blind eye to think just because we're doing functional movements and we're taking care of ourselves and this and that, that it is equated to the, the highest pillar of health. And that's, I think that's part of why we couldn't have a clearer discussion with Ben because Ben ascribes to CrossFit's wellness, uh, or sickness, wellness, fitness continuum which when you, when you draw that out, it's, it puts the further right you go with fitness, which would put you towards the games athlete, that's considered more and more fitness. But in, in our argument, that's not because elite performance, elite fitness is on the opposite end of the spectrum because you're pushing systems further from the norm. That doesn't mean you're, uh, you, you can't have an above average level of fitness, but when you add the element of a sport, that takes it to a whole nother level. That's what we're getting at. If once you say you're involved in the sport, then all bets are off the table with respect to longevity and health. It's a different conversation. And that's what we're, we're trying to more clearly distinguish here. Yeah. And, and not to get too deep in the weeds, but your last sentence, we could, we could do a, whole other show just talking about the difference of health and longevity mm -hmm. they're not the same they're not the same and you know you can live to be 110 and likely depending on how we define health mm -hmm. it, it may not be a healthy last 30 to 40 years of your life yeah so it it, it is that kind of convoluted and trying to understand and identify mm -hmm. uh, what health is um again a lot easier to understand what it's not because it just doesn't make sense. And being elite at a sport or, you know, suffering from chronic disease is not healthy as yeah. we get towards the middle, then, you know, that's where it, mm -hmm. it gets difficult. You know, so, some of the things that came to mind as I was, I was hearing that, and, and this was my comment right on him is like, so 
like what you're saying is that sustaining single digit body fat percentages or, you know, being extremely or having, having, I can't remember how I, how I wrote it, but having great ability to perform snatches and muscle ups like that would define you as health, as healthy. Cause that, like that just doesn't make sense to me. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we, we cite when, when we're talking about health and what it is to be fit, it seems like we love to go back and look at our primal beings. Right. And, mm -hmm. you know, the cavemen and what they did and, Oh, like they could, you know, walk for this amount of time or spend all this time on their feet and carry a dead animal or whatnot. I'm, I'm pretty certain they never even tried to attempt to carry a 400 pound dead animal. They probably chop that up and pick up 50 mm -hmm. pounds of it, take it home. Right. And we're here trying to deadlift 500, 600 pounds in a, in a CrossFit competition mm -hmm. more and other types of, of activities. And if they had to walk for days at a time, I'm certain they were like, how can I do this slow enough so that I get there in, in good shape and that I can survive and not figuring out how can I get there faster, right? Every time that I do the trek. Mm -hmm. right? So it's, it's, so it's ironic that we try to tie in, right? Or the primal human to it being peak performance, but it just makes no sense um, yeah. when you try to do that. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, I've, I'm glad you mentioned that because ideally, you know, if two well-educated people were having a debate on this, they would need to start with a presupposition of, well, how are we defining health? Like, how do we define the terms we're going to debate on? And I think that's one of the problems, which we, 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 tie, we talked about in the beginning a little bit there that there's going to be a bias around how you define health and how you see health. And I think that's where that opening question led to a, in our opinion, a poor answer because it was too open-ended and it was too, uh, there was too much potential for bias in the response. And so even us right now, and you bringing that up, it's like, well, how do you define health? Because you could, you could take a biological evolutionary approach of, well, health would be your ability to procreate and you know, pass on your genes. Well, if that, if that's literally all health really is, then you don't really need to do much in the gym at all. Like you, you really don't, you need to be able to mate, reproduce and move on. And then you of course can get into the weeds with like, well, what do you really need to do in order to do that? And then yes, you tie in, well, what did our ancestors do? Well, they needed to survive to procreate and reproduce so they were going to be very mindful, whether conscious or unconscious around energy expenditure, because if they were too expended, then they wouldn't have additional resources to protect themselves in case of an emergency. So it's, you know, it gets muddy when you go, when you, when you, when you really open it up and think about, think hard about like, well, what does health really mean, especially from a biological lens? And then when you try to put that next to what people are doing now in the gym, like with a CrossFit gym, it's like, well, do you really need to do those things as hard and as fast as you, as you think you do? It's like, eh, not really. Now, if you want to, you want to do it as a sport, that's totally different. And that's of course why you and I both work with people in the sport. Cause it's like, yes, if you want to compete, you want to do this, then these are the things you have to do. And I love that. That's what we do. And that's what, you know, who we work with. So the key here is not convoluting between 
doing things, physical expressions to maintain vitality and, and lead a healthy life to combat some of the more, um, what would be the word to combat modern, modern times. Um, but being able to go, well, if I want to compete, then these are the things I need to do. And my body is of course the vehicle for it. And there's going to be a cost with stretching my body as such. Um, so I guess that's the, the hard part is we don't have a super clear definition of health and that makes it hard to then create a really strong argument on both sides of the playing field to then discuss, well, how does this differ from sport? And I think the simplest thing is us trying to distinguish, well, health and sport are not the same. And most people, if you ask them that, I think they would be pretty aligned with that. And just, and then I'll stop here in a moment. If you even looked at the comment section of that post, the large consensus of people were like, yeah, I don't know about that, Ben. I, I don't think being an elite athlete is tied to health. There was a lot of people that had that same positioning, which is good to see because I think it's good that people are aware that you, that there is a difference. You know, you can get into the weeds now about like what the differences are, but there should be a difference between being healthy and being an athlete. Those aren't the same thing. Yeah. And, and in big part to uh, the maturation of the sport and realizing, right? Like five years ago, it's like, oh, I'm just starting, but maybe I can make the games to where right now that level is so far out of reach or so much further out of reach to where it's like, I don't, thing that I just go in and do CrossFit classes and in two years I'm at the games, right? Like mm -hmm. this a whole other level, which will, and, and which this gap is just going to increase and get bigger mm -hmm. throughout the years. Just like, you know, you can have like, go, go to like any of these like inner city um, basketball courts mm -hmm. where they hold these tournaments and they even uh, like some of these are even televised. And it's like high, high, high level basketball, like high shooting percentage, uh, you know, people slam dunking all over the place, fast, very highly skilled people go in and ask them like, oh, could you go to the NBA? They'll laugh at you, right? It's like, come on, man, like NBA for real, because they recognize that I'm, I'm, I have all these skills and abilities and I'm not even, I can't even have the conversation of mm -hmm. NBA uh, yet somehow. Uh, again, five years ago, we thought that anybody walking into the gym, like, oh, CrossFit Games yeah. or, or regionals, like, you know, yeah. like, come on. Uh, so that well, that needs to get separated. Uh, and I think it, in the end, I think it's, from that perspective, it's it's getting better because it, the separation is getting wider. Like People are becoming more aware of the demands of the sport and the elite are getting better and they're turning their lives more into what a full-time athlete looks like and the demands across the spectrum for that, which is good. And I think it's going to keep going that way because to your point, that'll help really clearly separate those that do it for fun and enjoyment and exercise versus those that want to compete. And all these other sports, which have been around for longer, that divide is very, very clear. And this sport being so young, the divide is, it's moving, but it's not, it's not as clear. And yeah, I mean, I even... I mean, this would have been what, seven years ago. I thought I was like, oh, I could definitely go to regionals. And then who knows, maybe the games, it's like, no, nah, I wasn't even close. It was, it was, it was a pipe dream. Um, and I think too, because it's so young, 
we're not cognizant enough yet of the repercussions of doing the sport at a high level for a long period of time. Your And so this is where I think uh, survivors, survivorship bias comes into it, where I know, I know people who've done it and who have done it well and have succeeded, thus other people can succeed as well and do well. But what happens is you negate all the people who tried, who didn't succeed or who didn't live. That's, of course, the bias is you only look at it from the viewpoint of the ones that succeed. And that taints your perception of what reality is. And so, yes, there are games athletes that have been doing it for five or six years, seven years, 10 years without any issues. But that might only be 10 or less of them. There's not we're not talking about the thousands who've tried it for multiple years, but now have. You know, metabolic issues or joint issues or um, you know lingering effects from the experience and the pursuit that they took. Are there other variables involved that led to those results? Of course there are. But the point being survivor, survivorship bias is strong in almost any profession, but especially in fitness and being mindful of the possibility that we can cloud our judgment and our thinking by only looking at the ones that succeed as the reference point versus taking a step back and looking at the whole, looking at more data and saying, okay, what, what are the trends here that are creating a clear understanding around what can happen when you push this as far as you can for an extended period of time? So yeah. I think, and, and Ben, even on the podcast, made a note around this because he brought up orthopedic issues. And, and, and I quote, he said, the jury is still out on the effects here, referring to or orthopedic issues. We don't know, but all other systems will thrive. And I, I was a little bit dumbfounded that he said that because it, it's essentially saying like, how can you say, I'm unsure about the implications of this area, but the rest will be really good. So it's pretty much a net positive. So it doesn't really matter if there's issues here or not. And you know, I instantly think about Rich Froning or Ben Smith, like they both have had at least one knee surgery, maybe two. And those guys have been in the sport longer than most, and they've moved well relative to the field, yet they still have, like, they're both, they're both not even 40 and they've had knee surgery. And then how many people have had shoulder issues, whether it's like a labral tear or you know, they have to like get in there for actual surgery and repair or reattach something. I mean, you know, so that be that's just a side effect of the the youth of the sport where you're not really seeing the impact of doing thousands of chest bar pull-ups yet, but it's going to be, it's going to get magnified in the coming years. And then, like I mentioned, the judgment gets clouded because then you only look at the people who are thriving and doing well. And you say, oh, look, it can actually happen. Well, they are an anomaly. They're the, the cream of the crop where they have better tissue tolerance. They have better recovery, recoverability. They, um, you know, they adapt better. They have better anthropometrics. You know, there's, there's so many things working for them that doesn't, notwithstanding all of the work and effort and ability they've put into it, but just the fact that their, their, their build and, and genetic setup is going to help them thrive inside of this more chaotic environment. But that's one person. That's not the other 100,000 that are trying. And a lot of them are not going to be as capable. And so the whole point of me saying this is when people walk into it knowing, okay, I'm entering this to compete and play in a sport, 
then I now know that there are costs associated with that. And I'm okay. I can take that on voluntarily. And that's what we want. We want people to not go blindly into it, thinking that pursuing this peak in this sport is going to make them a pillar of health. There's a cost. And if you know that, then that's good. You can then actively or proactively start working on variables that you can control to minimize how damaging it might be, which then gets into the area of things that we're great with, which is how do we dial in recovery, lifestyle, nourishment, environment to support the stressors that you're accumulating inside the gym? So that was a lot to say um, that the sport is young, the costs of it are not known, and it's easy for us to fall victim to a bias where we only look at the people thriving and we assume that that's the outcome that's going to happen for everyone, when in reality, that's not the case. Yeah, and I, I have several thoughts on some of those individual arguments. <clears throat> One, uh, something that we've, uh, maybe in the past, we chatted more on, because more on, not more on, <laughs> uh, because now it's like, like we just know it, right? But you look at, you know, individual regions, and you look at who came in first and who came in 50th, and break that down like we used to for like case studies and looking at athlete data, you know all the lifts, uh, certain workouts and whatnot, same numbers. If, if you're top 50, you have pretty much the same numbers as a top dude in the region. How can that one person continue to be first every year or top three and you not be able to break 45, right? It has nothing to do with the actual fitness. It has to either do with, you know, what brews in, inside of you and drives you or for how long will you be able to put up those numbers before you break, which is what you were referring to. Yep. And what is like the number one characteristic that makes somebody elite and CrossFit? It's a, either you have it or you don't type thing, right? You can't, you can't just go and shoot a thousand free throws every day to get so good at free throws or as, however many putts Tiger Woods did since he was two, right? You, you just can't account for that with repetitions for what we're talking about, you know, and that's, we, we just consider that to be fact right now. Um, you mentioned uh, earlier in the conversation about football and CTE and whatnot. We still don't understand CTE. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of money being poured into this. There's people dying because of it. And we still don't fully understand the thing. Uh, what's football like a hundred years old, maybe. Mm -hmm something like that, maybe more, maybe a little bit less. And again, maybe I'm wrong. If somebody listens and corrects me, fine. But first time I heard of CTE was definitely in the 2000s. So let's call it 20 years ago at most. So it took us 70, 80 years to even figure like, ooh, you know, all these shots to the head can maybe not be good for you, right? And we consider that, right? You're a football player. You're strong, fast. Hey, we consider that to be like... Mm -hmm. The, again, that the the beacon of what what a healthy man should look like, and mm -hmm. boy, you know, can, can did that conversation turn and and you know as, as quickly as it did, um, mm -hmm. and then to his point on you know okay so maybe uh, I can't remember what the terminology was, but orthopedic his, uh, issues, orthopedic, yeah, 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 orthopedically we don't know everything else. All systems are going to be thriving, so like. How much do we break that down? Because mm -hmm. in my brain, if you're calling orthopedic one of the dimensions, 
Mm -hmm. I would classify that as over the hood, right? Mm -hmm. Then it would be under the hood, physiologic. Mm -hmm. What else is left? Emotionally, Mm because we know what happens on the other end emotionally. We know what happens on the other end of pro sports careers, right? You have 35-year-olds who will never in their life get to experience the euphoria of having 60,000 people screaming out your name. And that, you know, there's a whole, there's 70 years of depression waiting after that. Cause mm-hmm. it's like, how can I ever top what I've lived in, in my life? Um, not to mention economic issues for the vast majority of them. Mm-hmm. And this is sports where they're making millions of dollars, not, mm-hmm. not CrossFit money at the moment. So that that's one aspect where I just don't see it possible it being any other way. And then physiologic, which I think uh, he also makes reference to as in, you know, all of these people have these great bodies and have these, you know, uh, can perform in that level. And, you know, their lab work is coming in at such healthy levels. I, I would like to see that because I actually run labs in quite a few of my clients that haven't even reached elite and like the, the abuse they've endured and training in the lifestyle is enough to already be seeing that being all whacked. Right. So, you know, I'm, I'm not sure what, what he's, what he's referencing to as which systems could be thriving um, Mm -hmm. after, you know, after a a career in that. And yes, yes. Somebody in that elite field could be perfectly healthy. Yeah. Somebody could, but the vast majority of them are not or will not be. And the hundreds of thousands that didn't even make it, made it and, you know, broke in the process. Those are definitely um, not healthy. Yeah. That's where the bias comes in. Cause you, you have the one or the 10 who, and, and you, you mentioned it there, there's this, this variable that's not tangible that you need which is you have to have the resilience to handle the thousands of repetitions that you need to, in order to reach elite in this sport. Whereas like you mentioned golf or basketball, like the, the, the repetitions, the contractions are so much easier on the system. It's, it's easier for the majority to get up to those levels, but in CrossFit, those contractions are more challenging yet a lot of the, or not a lot, but the, the select few actually make them easier. They make it, let's say, comparable to just shooting a free throw where it's, it, the cost is so much less. But for a lot of people, the cost is, is tremendous. And so then, yeah, they can't hang in there that long. And then I know inside of our organization with thousands of athletes over the last decade, a lot of those games athletes, we would get blood, blood work done with them. And you could see the toll, especially after competing or after a season of competing, like, those were not good numbers, you know, it's, and, and, and they knew that the athlete knew that they could feel it. The performance reflected that with the, the drive and the, the motivation to train and the ability to express post post season. Um, and so that became known as a byproduct of competing and preparing, which then came off season, deloading reconstruction, reconstructive period, very similar to other sports. You know, it's the same kind of cycle where, you go through in season, the body gets beaten down. You see this with football. You see this with every sport. There's this period of, of kind of regenerating the system after you've pushed it so hard. And, and this sport is no different. And uh, a few people who are outliers, you can't use that as the reference. And if you're, and if you're 
anchoring yourself to that, then you're blind to a bias that's going to negatively impact how you serve and work with other athletes who don't have the same scaffolding that that person does. And then what happens, you're going to turn and burn them. They're, they're going to come in, they can't handle it, get out, go do something else. And that's happened way more times than, uh, than are that than is mentioned. And so that's, um, you know, that's, that's, that's sad, but like you mentioned with the great example of the football, it could take another 30 years of the sport where then people are like very clear on the cost and uh, the cost of, of playing, playing sport at a high level. Yeah. Uh, w- worth noting um, the like PEDs came up in mm-hmm. that conversation a little bit. And this is an area where I actually happen to agree with, with my interpretation of, of what he was saying. And maybe I didn't agree a few years ago, but right now I do in that um, your top, top, top performers are likely not on drugs. And I agree with that because of everything that you just said, because there's no amount of drugs that you can take that will get you good in the areas that are separators for these people. Because you, it, it, it's not pounds on the squat bar. It's not, you know, time or seconds in your 500 meter row. That's not what's different, differentiating them. Mm-hmm. I think PEDs are all over the sport at at that, uh, let's call it the high tier, not mm-hmm. the elite tier of those people who need or think that they need a little bump to be able to get into the, It's all over. It's yep. all over there. But the ones that are actually there and can do it and, you know, no matter the competition, no matter the workouts, no matter who programs the games or how they're formatted, the person that keeps on winning, I don't think that person needs drugs to be able to mm-hmm. do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and ironically, those those people are, let's say, they have more media coverage than others. Mm-hmm. And no, they're not training hard at high intensity all the time. They are not taking you know weights and sets to fatigue. That's not what they're doing. There, I'm going to say he, Matt Frazier being the most, the you know, the closest one in memory. He's actually taking like two months off or he's going to eat hamburgers at Sonic or wherever it is that he likes his hamburgers before he even touches a barbell again, right? And we think that the games are over. He's just dying to get into the gym on Monday. Not the case. They're just that good to where mm-hmm. they're not going hard. They're not going to fatigue. They're not, mm-hmm. you know, doing high yeah. intensity as much as you think. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you try to do that, mm-hmm. it's going to feel like you're going at very high intensity. They're not. Yeah. Well, and, and, and even the fact that PEDs are getting more rampant in the sport is a signal to the sport separating further from general vitality because your, your people are becoming compelled consciously to take something exogenously to ensure that performance is maximized, which means they're putting the system at risk of maybe failure, maybe breakdown. You can use any word you want for the sake of winning. And, and that's, that's inherent in sport. It's inherent in all sport. So it shouldn't come as a surprise. What it should do is it should more clearly delineate between sport and and health and vitality because with sport yes all bets are off 
And, you know, there's an ethical play with, do I use this? Do I not? And like you said, those that are elite are probably not going to need it. And those on the fringes are going to rationalize themselves to use them. Um, and it just, it just shows that it's, it's, it's more of a sport. It's more of a game with rules that people are going to try to bend to try to win and try to, you know, uh, beat other people. And, and, and if, and if you think inside of that game and that world, you will be, become a pillar of health or the pillar of health sits inside of that. You're, you're off your rocker because now you're inside of a game where people are going to manipulate their body as much as they can without thinking of long-term consequences because they want to win and they want to beat people and uh you know ethical plays aside like the fact that it's inside of there just that already tells you uh the nature of what's going on there so athlete is not the same as human sport is not the same as general life and health is not equal to sport like it's it's that simple and and if we can, and, and if we can see that, then it, it, it make, it, it makes things a lot more simple with the approaches we take, the intention we bring to the table with the sacrifices we need to make. Um, that's, and, and I think that's where, uh, we, we need to keep pushing towards and bringing more awareness to. And I think it's, I think it's moving that direction. The fact that we're having this conversation, there's people talking about it. Um, that's a good thing. And I think it's just important that the younger generation is cognizant that there is a cost. There's a physical cost. It doesn't mean they need to like sit and labor over, well, do I do this? Do I, do, do I not do this? Um, it's just, you, you, they need to be mindful of, you know, this isn't what's going to make you live to a hundred if you want to live to hundred. But I would also say that those people aren't thinking about that. Cause when you're 21, you give two shits about living to a hundred. You just want to win and beat people. Um, but I just, I think it's, it's, um, I think it's fraud if you're telling people that this is one thing when in reality it's something else. And, uh, I know we both aren't going to like sit and let somebody say that, uh, because that's, that's wrong. Yeah. And, um, intentions, I think mm -hmm. being, being the key to that and what I'm, what I'm about to say will not be, you know thinking of CrossFit, we'll be thinking about sport in general. Because yep. again, I fully admire elite level CrossFit athletes. I am fascinated by the sport and by what they can do because I I have a pretty damn good understanding of, you know, what it takes to do those things of, you know, what two reps or five pounds are truly a separator of at elite level. I mm -hmm. am fascinated by that. Mm -hmm. And yes, uh, being the father of a 23-year-old is extremely, extremely difficult for them to think about anything past, you know, next Saturday or, or whenever they have their next concert mm -hmm. tickets for, uh, let alone, you know, trying to talk to kids about being healthy when you're 70 or living long. Mm -hmm. But the intentions piece needs to be there. Mm -hmm. If you are going to do this, if you are going to sacrifice health or accept you know drawbacks and or punishment if we want to put it that way mm -hmm. for the sake of beating people and being the very best in the sport let's go for it mm -hmm. if you are going to do all of that hoping that you'll be able to look like the person who did it last that's where you're fucked mm -hmm. that's that's where the whole thing just falls apart 
and why we need to come out and continue talking about this because fact of the matter is the vast majority of people doing CrossFit do not want, are not thinking mm -hmm. about quality of movement when they're 70 or the ability to pick up your spouse and drag him out of a burning building. Mm -hmm. They are thinking, I want to get strong and I want to get fast and I want to do all that breathing work to get ripped or lose weight. That is fact of the matter. Right? And, yeah. and that is the problem because you know their idea and our entire idea of a society of what being well as far as fitness and health means a is not clearly defined and so i'm uncertain of what it actually is but like i've said before i'm so certain that it's not looking like a games athlete yeah i i just know that yeah and and you know to ben's credit at the at the end of his response to the question he mentioned which i thought he should have said this up front was we need to ask what we're chasing and why we're chasing it. And I was, and I was like, yeah, I agree with you on that. That would be the start. Like, what are we chasing and why are you chasing that? Because if the intention is, is ill-placed, it will fall down and it's, it's going to be a, a sad journey, a sad road that you're going to go down. So we need to ask what we're chasing and why, and we need to recognize that we care about, these movements, this, this sport, because we're chasing performance, we're chasing the, to win and to succeed. We don't, we're not chasing it for health. It's a very different approach to that. And, and I think as a, a kind of wrapping up that, you know, we both, we both admire pursuing your maximum, maximal physical expression. We both have done it in our own careers and different sports. And I know we can both say from experience that there was a lot of value and gain that came from that experience. Um, of course, there were costs associated with it, but there's always a cost. And just knowing that it's good to go after this, but if you're going to go after it, go into it more aware of the costs that might come about. And then by doing so, it'll be easier for you to fully invest yourself and pay attention to the small details and, and, and set yourself up for success to the degree you can such that when you get out you're going to be better equipped to handle the repercussions that are going to come from the pursuit that you embarked on yeah i mean absolutely putting it like trying to summarize it it's going to be a moving target mm -hmm. right and, and i think that inevitably we're going to land on that you know health is somewhere in between these two frames but it's going to be a moving target mm -hmm. uh, depending on the person uh, as will fitness and you know what your even if you decide on uh, pursuing any type of you know competitive fitness mm -hmm. or competitive crossfit like i try to more i clearly identify what it's going to mean for you mm -hmm. um in that it's okay to compete as a weekend warrior type you know well with a weekend warrior type mentality uh it's okay to compete as a participant because an event is fun mm -hmm. like all all that's fine but also identify what you're willing and not willing to sacrifice in order to pursue those those goals within the goal of competitiveness mm -hmm. which is also a very broad mm -hmm. uh, goal if you know at least in my opinion yeah awesome well i think that's a good place to end it and uh thanks to ben for 
driving up the thought and I hope this uh, stretches your guys's brain a little bit. And if you have uh, follow-up questions or um, things you would like to dialogue on, you can of course email me or Henry and uh, we'd love to continue the conversation, but thanks for listening and uh, we'll see you guys next time. See you. Crafting fitness is powered by crafted coaching. To learn more about individually designed fitness and to explore our range of goal-driven programs, head to www.crafted.coach.